5,000 tonight. So we've got a Bible, really helpful to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is our short series, seven weeks, looking at the seven signs in John's gospel. Seven miracles that point to Jesus being the Son of God, but also point to the kind of Messiah, the kind of Savior he will be. We're in our fourth week. This is the, the final one that I'm going to preach in our series. The final three are going to be preached by people who come along to the preaching group that we run once a month in our church. So we won't have one next week. Next week, we actually have a missionary focus. Uh, so Paul McFarland, who works with Baptist Missions in Yule, has been here quite a lot, a few times, wasn't here last year because of his wife's illness, but he's coming back next Sunday night for a missionary fo focus. So do come along to that. It's always really interesting to find out what's happening with the church there in Yule. And then in two weeks' time, Stephen Johnson will preach on the fifth of the signs. So we're in John chapter 6. Before I read, I have a confession to make. They say confession is good for the soul. And my confession I want to just bear with you here tonight is that I eat too often in McDonald's in Carrick. And before you think I'm some sort of addict and I'm there all the time, I was only there twice in the past week. Uh, it's not out of control. And as I was in on Friday for my lunch, there were other people who are here tonight were also in having their lunch. I will not name them and shame them as well. Why do I go to McDonald's? I'll tell you why I go, there's some reasons. It's convenient and it's quick. Okay, you never go to it for the taste. Nobody eats a McDonald's because they think, oh, that'll be a nice meal to have. Maybe you need lunch or tea and things are a bit busy. We went there on Thursday night because we had a school concert in Belfast to get to. We didn't have long for tea. McDonald's was quick. It was easy. There were no dishes afterwards to do. It's quick. It's convenient. It's not nice. But here's what confuses me. When I go sometimes for lunch and eat a meal, a burger, some fries, and a drink. Joanne will sometimes say to me, oh, you've had your meal for today? You won't need dinner tonight because you've had a McDonald's meal. I don't understand that at all. I have never eaten McDonald's and went, that'll do me for the day. That has filled me up. That is a substantial meal. I always need dinner after I've been to McDonald's because here's the problem with it. It never, ever satisfies. Even when you're leaving, you think... I could have eaten a little bit more. I want to continue our series tonight. As we think about these signs, the purpose of the signs is to point in a direction. It's to show us who exactly Jesus Christ is. He is the Son of God. But as I said just a few moments ago, it also gives us an insight into the kind of Savior he is. We know tonight from the Feeding of the 5,000 that it's a, a sign that involves food. And what we're going to learn as we work our way through this passage is that Jesus Christ is the only one who can truly satisfy. The rest of the world, the rest of the things that the world offers is just McDonald's. It never, ever truly satisfies. It leaves you wanting more. But Jesus Christ is not like physical food. He's a spiritual food. He is the bread of life. And when we believe in him, and when we look to him, and when we trust him, he truly satisfies the human soul. So let's read. We're not going to read all the chapter, but we will come into other parts of the chapter. We're going to read the first 15 verses. Let's listen to God's word. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. 
Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he took told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this, indeed, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Amen. It's a very famous sign. We all, I'm sure, are familiar with the story, but it teaches us several things. It teaches us several things about Jesus Christ. It teaches us several things, the kind of Messiah that Jesus Christ is. The first thing we see right at the start of this passage is that Jesus is compassionate. Jesus has been teaching, and he's been t- doing miracles and teaching people. There's been a large crowd that are following, following him. And he decides with the disciples to go round the lake to the other side to spend some time on their own. It shows the humanity of Christ, that even Christ needed to take some physical rest. And they move across to the far side, but when they get there, they see that the crowd has followed them. And the crowd that they've left behind is now right in front of them. What would be my reaction in that situation? You know those times you want a bit of peace and quiet, but a downtime? You sit down on the couch and maybe the doorbell rings and somebody's dropped around, you know. What's your reaction? Oh, not somebody, you know. Hide behind the curtains and all the rest. Don't let them in. Not Jesus in this situation. He doesn't get angry with the crowd. He doesn't dismiss them. In fact, he has compassion upon the crowd. And he's concerned about them. They've come a long distance. They've followed. And they're going to be hungry. They're going to be fatigued. And so he inquires his disciples about where they could buy bread. Now, it doesn't use the word here in John 6, but this is actually a miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And in Mark's Gospel, in Mark 6, it tells us that Jesus looked at this crowd that had followed them when they tried to be on their own, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep. They were sheep without a shepherd. Now, the word compassion that used in Mark 6 is found in other places in the New Testament. Jesus told a parable one day about a man who was lying dying at the side of the road, and a good Samaritan, one of his enemies, walked past. And when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion, same word. His inner self was stirred. He was stirred to do something about it. He couldn't walk on past like other people. It led him to physically help the man. The other time you find it in the Gospels is in uh, another story, another parable that Jesus told about a prodigal son who ran away. And then the son comes to his senses and he decides to go back to his father, but he's concerned. What will his father's reaction be to him? And so he comes up with this plan that he'll ask his father, well, I'll just come back as one of your hired servants. Let me work for you instead. But as the father sees the prodigal son in the distance, what happens? His heart is stirred. The word that's used is the same word here. His father has compassion. 
And compassion always leads to action. And so what does the father do? He runs. And he runs with arms open wide. That's exactly what we find here. That's the kind of savior that Jesus is. He's a compassionate savior. He's actually compassionate here for their physical needs, but we'll see later on as well, he's compassionate for their spiritual needs. So Jesus is compassionate. The other thing we see, and it's very simple, very clear, the signpost is pointing in an obvious direction, is that he's mighty. One of the other reasons he feeds the people is not just because he's compassionate, but he wants to provide another sign, another clear signpost to exactly who he is. The disciples are quick to point out that, well, we don't have enough money here. We don't have enough money to feed. 200 denarii's worth would, would not would be needed to pay for these people. That means nothing to us. 200 denarii's would be eight months' salary. We'd have to work nonstop for eight months, and that probably wouldn't be enough to buy food for all these people. But they have one lunch. We know the story, a little child's lunch that's handed over. But Andrew here, he rejects his own suggestion in verse 9. It just sounds ridiculous. Let me read it again to you. There's a boy here who's five barley loaves and two fish, but... What are they for so many? I don't even know why I'm verbalizing this. I don't even know why I'm saying it out loud. Because look, it's ridiculous. Look at the size of the crowd and look at the size of the lunch. There is no way that's going to fade. But what does Jesus do? He does the impossible. And how can he do the impossible? Because he's mighty. And where's the signpost pointing? This truly must be the Son of God. So Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is mighty. But here's the other thing we learn from this miracle. Jesus satisfies. After he's fed the crowd, they gather up the leftovers, and there's 12 baskets filled. Now, before Christmas, I went to another restaurant, not McDonald's. I went to Cosmo and Victoria Square. It was the first time I'd been there. Probably a lot of you have been there plenty of times. I went with a group of friends. One of my friends was getting married, and we went out for a meal before the wedding. And I went to this. It was a group of guys. It was ideal. It's, if you've never been, all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. And as you go in, forget about the feeding the 5,000 here. It was the 5,000 people were in this restaurant. It was jam-packed on a Saturday night. But there was plenty for everybody. And as soon as the trays of food were emptied, more trays would come out. Now, it's not great stuff. It's the McDonald's of Chinese. That's really what it is. But you cannot leave Cosmo Restaurant and say, do you know what? Didn't get enough there tonight. Everybody can leave satisfied if they're prepared to get up of their seat and fill their plate time and time and time again. What do we find here in John chapter 6? Well, verse 11 tells us they had as much as they wanted. There was nobody at the edge of the crowd going, could have done with another sandwich there. That would have kept me going. No, everybody had as much as they wanted. So the person who just wanted a small snack had a small snack. The person who hadn't eaten for days and wanted to devour the food, they had plenty as well. Everyone was satisfied. In fact, it tells us there was more food at the end than there had been at the start. It was like the first miracle we looked at in John 2, where Jesus was at the wedding, and they ran out of wine. And Jesus turns the water into wine. And the amount of wine we thought about that night was an abundance of wine. It was more, it could have kept the wedding going for weeks and weeks. Because that's what Jesus does. He satisfies. Nobody's left there going, oh, I could have done with a bit more. Everybody had enough to satisfy them. Now, why was there 12 baskets left over? Had Jesus made some miscalculation? You know, he didn't know exactly how much everybody was going to eat, so he had far too much, and we have this waste food at the end. That's not the case. He's an all-knowing God. 
doesn't tell us here, but I think the point that's being made is Jesus gives abundantly. There's more than you can ever need, and there's always enough to satisfy you. That's a physical truth. That's what he did physically here. But there's a spiritual lesson. Jesus is always abundant. Nobody comes to Jesus and thinks, okay, I could have done with more. Everyone is completely satisfied. And the result of this miracle means that everybody who's there that day and everybody who yet, they all believed and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what happened? Sadly not. The fact is, when we read John 6, nobody is recorded as becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. There's 5,000 men. It doesn't tell us the number of women or children. Could have been 10,000, could have been more who witnessed this miracle, who saw this sign clearly pointing to who Jesus Christ was, and yet they all miss the signpost. Yes, what Jesus did impressed the crowd because everyone loves a free lunch, don't we? And especially in the context of the day when this was performed. These people in the crowd, they would have been the ordinary people, and every day they would have got, got up and they would have worked, and they would have got a small amount of salary. And what did they spend their salary on? Luxuries and pleasures? No. Your salary was spent on one thing and one thing only. Bread. Or what you needed to make bread. You basically worked to live. That's what your day was made of. Any money you got was spent on food for you and your family. And so when this happens, there's an abundance of food. And you didn't have to work for it. And you didn't have to pay any money. This would have been impressive for these people. But they just don't get it. They don't understand. Let's read verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is the Messiah. Is that what they said? They saw the sign? No. They followed it somewhere else. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, they think he's somebody special, but that's all he is. He's only a prophet. Now, what we're told here in verse 4 is it's Passover time. And so as the people prepared themselves for Passover, they would have thought back to what had happened centuries before in Egypt. And who was the hero of the Passover? It was Moses. Moses was the man who delivered them out of the slavery of a foreign ruler. And what else did Moses do? Not only did he give them freedom, he gave them free bread because as they traveled, their ancestors traveled through the wilderness. Manna came every day. They didn't have to get up and work for their bread. God provided through Moses. And you can see the cogs starting to tick and move in the heads of these people who ate this free lunch. Moses delivered us from foreign rulers. And we're occupied by foreign rulers at the moment, the Romans. And Moses gave us free bread. And this man has just given us free bread. This man is a prophet like Moses. In fact, this man could be the one who gets us away from the Romans. What do the Romans give us? The Romans give us taxes to pay. What does this man give us? He gives us free bread. And so what do they want to do? They want to take Jesus at this point, and they want to make him a king. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is a rebellion that's about to break out. 
what they want to do here is come, throw the Romans out, put Jesus in place. He'll give them freedom and he'll give them bread. They won't have to work again. You see, we've got the wrong picture of what happens in the feeding of 5,000. You know what we have in our head? We have this lovely idealistic picnic situation that you see in the Sunday school books or the children's Bible stories. Everybody's sitting down calmly here having their picnic. No, Jesus has to leave because he knows that the people are about to take him by force. A rebellion, an uprising is about to break out here. And this is 5,000 men. 5,000 men is a rebel army. 5,000 men can do some damage here all gathered together. And they want to bring, make Jesus their king. Why? Because he satisfies their physical needs. How do they all miss the sign? How do they miss exactly who Jesus is? Well, they're interested in Jesus, but they're looking for the wrong thing. They want a king. And they want a king who will meet, make, meet their physical needs. They want a king who will make life easier and better for them. And Jesus Christ, it seems is able to do that. Do you know what? They missed the point. Because the purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world was not to give them free bread. Jesus Christ actually wants to do something greater. Now, many people today make the same mistake that this crowd having a picnic with Jesus did. Perhaps you're one of those people who makes the same mistake. You see, there's lots of people who are interested in Jesus. These people were interested in Jesus, but they want Jesus to meet their physical needs. They want a Jesus who will make life better for them. They want a Jesus who'll give them good health. And so I'll pray, but I'll pray that Jesus gives me good health. That's my chief concern. Or Jesus will give me a better job. Or Jesus will give me financial security. And so when they come to Jesus, how do they treat him? They treat him like a genie in a bottle. We're interested in Jesus, but we want somebody who makes life better for us physically, who gives us our physical needs. The reality, as I said, is Jesus came to do something even greater. He came to meet the deepest spiritual need of our hearts and our souls. He didn't just come to give us free bread. He came to give us life. Life in all its fullness. Life in all its abundance. A life that fully satisfies the human soul. See, Jesus can meet our physical needs. He's done it here in this chapter, but it's not his primary purpose. He wants to do something greater. And he withdraws from this crowd because he's not tempted by their kingdom. They want to make him a king to rule the land. His kingdom will not come by an uprising. His kingdom is going to come in a completely different way. His kingdom will come by laying down his life on a cross. And so he leaves. But the next day, what he does is he preaches a sermon. He preaches an incredible sermon. Johnny's already quoted part of it to us this evening. And what he does is he starts to question the motives of the crowd. Let's move on in the chapter, and let's look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's why you're interested in me. You're not interested in the signs where it's pointing. You're interested in me because yet you fill your lows and you want more bread. You can't see past the miracles. Now, here's the problem with bread. The bread that Jesus gave them the day before, it didn't last. By the next day, their tummies would be rumbling again. By the next day, they are hungry. The bread that Jesus had given them the day before wouldn't satisfy them forever 
and ever. And that's his real mission. He wants to give them something greater. He wants to give them something that will truly satisfy. He wants to give them greater bread. Look at verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, his listeners want to know, well, how can we get this? How can we get this kind of bread that endures to eternal life? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Bread that can truly satisfy you. And so they continue. Let's read from verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, the people, when they hear this about believing in the one that God has sent, they're not convinced. And so they continue in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers had the manna in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So basically, they're working out in their mind. Jesus is claiming that he's the one sent from God. And if we believe in Jesus, he'll give us eternal life. But Jesus, prove yourself. Before we believe in you, show us your credentials. Do some kind of sign in front of us. And you read that and you think, have they forgotten what happened the day before? The day before he fed the whole crowd. But that's not enough. They want another sign. And they want it to be like the manna from heaven. Do you know what they're after? Daily bread. Do it every day. And if you give us bread every day, then maybe we will believe in you. And Jesus puts them right. Verse 32. Jesus then says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He corrects them. It wasn't Moses who gave you bread. It was God himself. And God has now given you a greater bread. And here's the fascinating thing. The bread is actually a person. It's not what you're thinking about, a physical bread, you know, baked in an oven. This bread is a person. A person who's come down from heaven. But when you feed on him, he gives you life. He gives you eternal life. And the crowd, when they hear this, They start to get excited and they want this bread. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus responds with this incredible claim in verse 35, very famous verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's one of those famous I am, this powerful metaphor where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What's he saying there? Well, you see, for these people, Galilean peasants, ordinary people, bread was the most central thing in their existence. It was their staple diet. Without bread, they died. Without bread, they had no life. You ate bread to live. Jesus Christ wants to perform the same role as their daily bread. Their daily bread that gives them physical life, he wants to do it for them spiritually. I am the bread of life. Feed upon me. Now, one of the problems with physical bread or whatever your staple diet is, is it never fully satisfies. You wake up in the morning, you stick some bread in the toaster, you have some toast. After a few hours... I could do with a morning cup of tea and a biscuit. I could do with my lunch, do with my tea. It never satisfies. It only lasts for a certain amount. You always need more. 
And it reminds me of when the youth fellowship come round to our house. You know when the youth fellowship comes round, maybe about once a year, you have to put a supper on for them, and you have this dilemma, how much food shall we put out for the young people? Here's the bottom line. It's never enough, no matter how much you put out. If you put five pizzas out, they'll want 10. If you put 10 pizzas out, they still want more. It could be 15, 20. No matter how much food you put out for them, there's never anything left over at the end. And it's good to see that when you come, you're keen to eat their supper as well. It's never enough. It never truly satisfies. But the person who comes to Jesus and feeds on the one who is the bread of life has eternal life. And when you have eternal life, you're never hungry. And when you have the bread of life, eternal life, you're satisfied. You're never sitting there going, oh, I need something else in my life. No. When we're truly feeding on Christ, the bread of life, he satisfies the soul. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, I'll give you life. I'll nourish you. I'll fill you up and I'll satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. And then he unpacks it further. Let's move down the passage to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You eat from me, you'll live forever. And what is this bread? The bread is my flesh. And what's he doing there? He's making a link to a future event. He's making a link to his death on the cross. Jesus will become the bread of life by giving his own life. That's this great paradox of Scripture where he would give life by giving his own life, his flesh, on the cross. He died. He would sacrifice himself so that we could have life, that we could have life in all its fullness. See, that's Jesus' real purpose from coming from heaven, not to just give us a free handout, a free physical lunch to meet our physical needs. Yes, he can do that, and he meets our physical needs in, in many different wonderful ways in his common grace, but his real purpose from coming is to come to deep, deal with our deepest spiritual need. He came to deal with our sin, our sin that separates us from a holy God, as we thought about this morning, and he comes to give life to all who believe in him. What kind of life? I've already mentioned. John 10, 10 tells us it's life in all its fullness, life in abundance, life as God has planned it, life that satisfies you see, people in this world try to find satisfaction in so many other things. You think about your friends. You think about your work colleagues. Maybe you're one of these people. Always seeking, always searching, always trying to get something out of life that will satisfy them, that will bring contentment into the world. Do you know what it all is? It's McDonald's. It never, ever truly satisfies. Yes, it might fill a gap for a while, May, yes, it may be pleasurable for a short time, but it never gets into the core of our soul and truly satisfies. That's what this sign is all about. There is one who can fill the deepest longing of our heart. And how do you eat this bread of life? How do you eat bread which is actually a person? Verse 47 tells us, 
whoever believes has eternal life. It's by believing that we get this bread of life. Now, it's not just talking about a token nod of the head. Oh, I believe in Jesus. It's talking about believing with our minds that Jesus really is the Son of God who died for us. It means believing in our hearts, the core of who we are, believing with our affections where our heart is captured by him and we realize that he is the bread of life. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that is a challenge for all of us. Maybe you're not a Christian here. Maybe you're not a a believer. You haven't believed in the one who is the bread of life. Can I urge you tonight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is the one who truly satisfies. And come to him and find life, eternal life. Life in all its fullness and the satisfaction that he brings. But there are people who have come to the bread of life. Maybe you're one of these people. You've trusted Christ, you've believed him. But as you sit here tonight and you examine your spiritual life, you're empty. You're spiritually empty. You're converted, but you're hungry. And as you try and live your life at the moment, you know that you're lacking spiritual strength. And why has that happened? Because you've stopped feeding upon Christ. You see, we come to Christ by believing in the one who is the bread of life, but we continue our Christian life, our daily strength, by feeding on the bread of life. We Christians need to constantly feast on Christ for our spiritual strength. Christ needs to be our daily bread. And so we need to spend time with him. And so it's good tonight, even as we come out, this is part of feeding on Christ as we sing these songs about him, as we listen to his word, as we pray together, we are feeding on Christ. And as we take time on a daily basis to read his word and to pray, to spend time, even to fast, that might sound like a contradiction, you know? Praying and fasting is actually feasting. Fasting is feasting as we feast on Jesus Christ. These spiritual disciplines, because we know that if we try and go through life, if we try and go through this incoming week in our own strength, we are weak and we are frail. And yet the one who is the bread of life has come to give us strength, spiritual strength in living for him. May we, who are believers, not go about spiritually hungry. Don't rob yourself of spiritual food. Spend time with the one who is the bread of life. And if we are believers, we also have our responsibility. We have discovered the bread that truly satisfies. And we don't hog it to ourselves. We have a responsibility and we have a scriptural instruction to share bread with hungry people. We need to share the bread of life with the hungry world. Family members, work colleagues, school friends, people you go to university with. And these are people who are looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. They are feasting on McDonald's and it's leaving them hungry. And we have the bread of life. So this week, why don't you pray and say, God, help me this week to feast on you. Make me spiritually strong. But give me an opportunity to speak to so-and-so. Or give me an opportunity to share Christ with this group of people. Because what they need above everything else in this world is the one who is the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Let's not hog it. 
Let's not hog it to ourselves, but let's share Christ with a hungry world. Let's pray, and then I'll invite our musicians to come and lead us. Dear